In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good evening. Hey, everyone. Glad you're here. I'm thankful that we're in the auditorium. Gives us a little bit more space. Uh, the last uh, time we met together, we were full and it got a little warm in there, so I think we thought we'd move in here. And uh, here we are, and we've got some wonderful guests that are going to be with us. Pastor Justin and Laura will be up here this evening as well, and then Dr. Allen's going to join us. Before we launch off into what can be uh, a, a really touchy topic at times, um, instead of uh, marveling in the beauty of God's creation, oftentimes within the church and then also in our society, this is a problem issue, okay? Well, I want to present something, and Dr. Allen did refer to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, so if you'd open up your Bible... I'd ask you to go there. We're going to read through 12 verses. And, and it's not just about do not touch, okay? And so what do I mean by that? Let's take a look at this passage. And I want to just share a couple of comments and a couple of thoughts that should provide a foundation as we move forward uh, in a topic of discussion this evening, family and sexuality, biblical sexuality in an age of no boundaries. In verses 1 through 12, it reads, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. What is it? Be by the authority of the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. So often people are asking us as shepherds, pastors, disciples, the Lord's will on things. Here's one of the passages in the New Testament that uses this term "thelo," that is the desirous will of God. This is what God desires. So there are several passages that if you and I worked on pursuing the way he designed us to pursue, we'd be pretty right on track on the will of God and making decisions in all kinds of areas of life. And it says, for this is the will of your God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. First, let's talk about that term, sanctification. So most of us, maybe if we've heard that term, have been presented with a, a good little tidy definition. Um, and it's something about the idea um, that sanctification is to be set apart. And that's true, to be set apart. So in our salvation, he desires that we be sanctified, that we be set apart but so often, especially in my parenting when I was younger, you know, uh, a younger dad, it would be set apart, don't do, don't touch, don't think, don't ask. It's not time yet. Failing to see that it's not just being set apart, but it's being designated to be holy. So sanctification is set apart from sin, but to be designated to be holy. And so what is this called? This is called the pursuit of holiness. Let me describe this in a practical way. I think uh, about a month or so ago, I told you of uh, a time in my life where I touched the, the hot cigarette lighter in the car because I just was so tempted to do it. Well, in my own parenting, I have uh, five kids, and I had a daughter. I still have her. And, um, and uh, you know, I was cooking. I like to cook. And so she was very curious, and she was looking up at the pan, and now that I am an older parent, I am thinking of so many different ways I could have done this differently. But what I told her is, don't do this. You're going to get hurt. Don't do it. 
So be set apart from the danger of the hot frying pan. So that was a good message. Be set apart from the danger of the hot frying pan. Um, but that's where it stopped. And so when I wasn't looking, she went up to go and look in the pan. And when she leaned forward, her lips perfectly touched the hot frying pan. And you could hear the sizzling sound. And then the scream. And then it's a funny story now, but then she turned into a reptile because her lips peeled, you know. And, and, and we laugh about it now, especially because those, I, I hope that those lips are very functional because she's getting married on August 2nd. So I think after all of these years, they're functional now. I haven't asked. I don't want to know. My point is, though, is I needed to take a couple more steps as a parent, and that's what I'm reflecting on. It wasn't just be set apart from the danger of the fire, be set apart from sin. It was probably now in my thinking I would go, wow, how, she's really curious, get a chair. And actually, I've done this with my niece now, and she's just a little girl. She's in kindergarten. And I pull the chair up, and I let her see what we're doing. And she sees now, oh, it's hot, you're cooking. And then her curiosity, I say, well, hey, how about you help me cook the meal, which takes more time. And now her satisfaction of curiosity is fulfilled, but she's learned also the danger of the hot frying pan. But so that what? She can do the creation of the meal, the activity that we are taking part in together. And so God is saying not just to be set apart from sin, but be designated to holiness, to me. This is called the pursuit of holiness. So it's not just no, it's be with me, child of God. Walk with me. So that's the goal and that's the purpose in mind in this passage. And then it says right after that, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. So immediately after this idea of being set apart from sin and designated to holiness and pursuing holiness in a relationship is, but be cautious of this, of all things that the Lord could have penned in the word of God at that key moment, he looks at the issue of sexuality outside of the boundaries of what was created by him and how he created within the context of marriage to be husband and wife, one flesh union, till death do us part. He says abstain from sexual immorality. And I think the context gives us a real clear understanding of why. And it says here that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor I believe and we believe in speaking of this vessel that houses our soul, okay? And then it says here, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. There should be a difference between those that are children of God and do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, pursuing holiness. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And you could read further, but here's the key thing there. Who has taken up residency within this vessel here? The Spirit of God. And so we have the wonderful opportunity of pursuing holiness, set apart from sin, designated to holiness in relation Father through Jesus Christ. And he says, and I've deposited the Holy Spirit there. 
But the minute you pursue something more of the boundaries of the way I design sexuality to be expressed, you defraud your brother. And you what? You, you impact others. It affects others. There is no secret sin. It affects others in relationship. And also, it affects your relationship with the Spirit of God who is inside of you. And so let's take a look. So what's the problem? We have our strong desires. We try and live the middle road oftentimes. Sometimes we are pursuing rampant forms of rebellion. But I find, and Laura and I find, probably more often in counseling with couples and individual men and women that they're not pursuing maybe some of the most um, extreme areas of sexuality, but we're trying to live in the middle road. And when we do that, what we fail to see is we're rejecting the will of God, right? This is the will of God, your sanctification. And we're saying no to the will of God. And we manufacture what will look good to other people on the outside, but inside we have this turmoil that's at war when we should be at peace with the Holy Spirit. We're at war internally. So what's the answer? Well, first, what it's not, it's not rules. All on their own rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That all have the appearance of what? Self-made righteousness. And in Colossians, the idea is there is that you can put all kinds of rules around, but if you're not truly being transformed from the inside out, the rules or the boundaries that we place on ourselves and others will not be effective. So it needs to be more than that. What's the answer? Well, what it's not is hiding, separation without a goal. So we could try to hide, and we end up hiding from other believers but we're trying to hide from every form of sexuality or sin, and we are staying away from all of the real bad stuff. But as I hide, I don't have a plan. And before I realize it, I too can be caught in sin and temptation. And then uh, what it's not, it's also not masking. And then here's one, putting on God's name on sin or the Facebook glaze on brokenness. Write it down. The Facebook glaze on brokenness. The Facebook glaze on brokenness. Instagram, whatever chat, you put it down. And here's what the Facebook glaze is. I am in turmoil internally. I am in turmoil with my relationships. I am struggling with all kinds of areas of temptation. But on Facebook... I present a perfect life. And I begin to believe it. And when I believe that presentation, I'm hiding. I'm not getting the help that I need. Spirit of God is still in me going, get help. Repent. Confess. You know. And so if I put on that mask and I'm not genuine with at least one other person in discipleship, in relationship, or at times coming to counsel, then I will even be deceived by the presentation that I've presented. So what is then the answer? Pursuit of God. Pursuit of God in relationship. Pursuit of God in His will. If we are ever questioning what the will of God is about who I should marry, who I should date, where should I go to school, who should I be friends with, let's major on 
going to the passages which are really obvious, God's will is this for you and I. Living that out. And then I think our heart and our mind, our emotions and our thinking will be in line with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And then what we will do is we will pursue His way. So we pursue God, we pursue His will, and then what? We will live His way. And that does bring boundaries. And those boundaries are a blessing because what those boundaries are doing then are keeping me from putting my lips to the frying pan. But boundaries alone will not help me to live out holiness. And so those are some things to think about, and I'd like to um, encourage you all to read that passage further. And now if I can invite all of my guests, Laura, Justin, and Dr. David Allen, if you please all come up. Give them a hand if you like. Okay, so we're going to switch this way, and you're going to go there, and then you're going to have your own mic. Center. Okay. Check. Here we go. <laughs> what was that sound? Check. Okay, that's good. All right. Are you ready for this phase of it? Yes. You can tell we've done this before, right? Here's the uh, the goal. I, I think uh, Carl's given us a gift this last two times that we've done this by uh, kind of laying the groundwork and giving us uh, some thoughts to center our attention. Um, But what we want this to be is a family chat. And so uh, even though we've kind of spread out here in the main auditorium so that we're not uh, baking to death, it helps us with our attention, Um, we want to um, still kind of have a close, not face-to-face conversation, um, but we want it to feel like family. And uh, the other thing is uh, we have uh, Dr. Allen up here as a guest. He did not get enough abuse with preparing for his message this morning. Uh, He was nervous about that. Now he's going to be on the hot seat. We're going to ask him questions uh, um, as we go through. But also Carl and Laura, who um, have done an amazing job of establishing our counseling ministry here. And we wanted both of them on the stage because uh, we wanted you to be able to also, as we are walking through these things, be able to connect with somebody up here. (laughs) uh, uh, We want to be approachable. And we want to be able to set up systems where you are saying, hey, I think that those folks understand where I'm coming from. And we're asking uh, Laura to especially be able to address some of the concerns uh, that we hear coming out of counseling in the women's ministry uh, area. And then we have Russ and Joe over here in the corner uh, that are going to be helping us as some of you had. Look at those two guys over there. It's like the two guys in the Muppets, right? They're just over in the corner mocking us from a distance. So... Up on the, the panels, you still see, if you have a question, uh, you'll be able to go on there. If you ask a question, um, it'll be loaded. But then you can also like some of the other questions. And if uh, there are questions on there that you say, man, that one really is my heart. I want to make sure that gets answered tonight. You can like that even while we're in here. You can look on your uh, cell phones, and it will move its way up. And if there's some stuff that is moving its way up in here, we're going to ask them, as we just get rolling here, to um, be able to tell us what the group mind is in the room. So we make sure we tackle those questions. Um, what, what we would like to do, Carl did a good job of uh, getting us rolling, start laying the groundwork, but there are a couple of questions, I think, uh, that came up before uh, this weekend. So they were uh, sitting there this last week. 
that I think are, are helpful to the church. And Carl, I'll have you start on this. Um, uh, one of the questions that was asked was, how do we talk to our children about biblical sexuality? Mm-hmm. And the follow-up question with that, so with this nuance, uh, how do I defend the biblical view of sexuality without being a bigot? Mm-hmm. Could okay. you uh, maybe address that, and then I'll mm-hmm. ask Dr. Allen to comment. So first of all, it starts at a young age. And so we're, we're as kids are growing and developing in their understanding and their availability to ask questions and understand concepts, figuring out where that child is at and thinking of how I could begin to, number one, present the glory of God in marriage, sexuality. And so at young ages, it's really simple. It's even talking about things like, oh, that's a baby. Where, where were you when you were born? Where you were in mommy's tummy? You start off there. This is the glory of God's creation. And now that child at four may not understand how the baby came out, right? And so we might go, well, it might be too early to engage in telling them all of the anatomical parts of the female and and, and male anatomy. So then as I assess where my children are at age-wise and then their understanding of concepts, um, talking to them from the very beginning, mom and dad together, one-on-one, mom with daughters, Sons with sons, sons with daughters, moms with sons, and also having good resources and tools. Um, And so we do have a book set that is outside in the lobby area that you can look at that then goes to different phases of stages of development of children and adolescence and the topics that might come up in creative ways of addressing those things. But first of all, I'd say, let's start with the positive. This is God's perspective on marriage. This is God's perspective on the home. This is God's perspective on sexuality. And so then, that means Laura and I have to be more or less on the same page, right? Because the minute they start asking those questions, and if she's addressing them when I'm away, and then I come home and I, I, I say something different, now the children begin to become <clears throat> confused. So at a very young age, then, we need to be unified on how to address those questions. Yeah. Dr. Allen, do you have anything else to uh, add to that? Not, not much. I appreciate it very much, your, what shall we call it, your opening teaching, your mm-hmm. opening monologue a moment ago. Mm-hmm. That was excellent. And tying together those verses and laying the foundation. So I appreciated that very much, Carl. Uh, I would just add, I couldn't really add anything to that. That's exactly right. But I might say that uh, if you are married, if you're not a single parent, it might be helpful as much as possible uh, for mommy and daddy together to talk to the child about these things. That way you'll avoid not being on the same page. Mm -hmm. Now, that that can't always happen because questions come at inopportune times, (laughs) and every parent knows this. Uh, but as much as you can, I would recommend uh, talking, um, letting mommy and daddy jointly do that. And the value of that is uh, daddy won't think of everything, but mommy will be able to inject things that daddy didn't think of. And that might work out vice versa, probably rarely. But 
Because she's a satellite. Yeah, she, she she's the satellite. Lots of information. Yeah, yeah. That's you were why, here this morning. That's right? why so. you need her. She's the satellite. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, doing that as much as you can together, I would certainly encourage that. Now, if you're a single parent, that's different. I mean, that responsibility uh, falls uh, to you. But I think age graded here in terms of how much you give, you can't say as you can't say to a four-year-old what you can say to a twelve-year-old what you can say to a 16-year-old. So I think that's mm -hmm. wise counsel. Well. <clears throat> and the only other caveat I'd add is, though, that we sometimes think that the younger ages can't handle what they actually can. And if you and I don't address it and are really investigating where our kids are at, they'll find out some form of information. And so unless we isolate, which we just heard isn't the answer, right? whether it's in the church, whether it's in school, whether it's in the community, then that means we have to be ready to have a good apologetic or, you know, an answer for our faith. And then everything in the faith comes under that umbrella. And family life, sexuality, development, that's all really important. I think one more thing I would just add on top of that is, is those early discussions are, are not just about content, but it's about our presentation. And so we can give good content, but give it in, in a context in which we're either presenting it with shame or, or uncomfortableness. And so even if we're saying the right things, what we're, we're, the message we're sending is that I'm not comfortable, this isn't a safe topic in which we can really discuss, or I'm not comfortable with this. And so that gives future a message for the future that when life gets more difficult and, and sexual issues get more complex, mom and dad were so uncomfortable with the little things when I was a little kid, they can't handle the big things. And so I'm not gonna see them as a resource. And so early on, we, we began having those conversations. And I think it's important not just to be on the same page, but also to, to make sure that we have such a peace in the biblical perspective that God gives, which is beautiful, and we're so comfortable with it for ourselves that it's a natural byproduct of what it means to live in our home, that we talk about those issues as they come up in the milieu of life um, and are able to present them in a way that glorifies God and that benefits then um, not just the, the child, but also strengthens the relationship and is setting a tone for what will be more complicated conversations to come in the future. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just thought of this as well as listening to them. Um, it all of this really begins in one sense prior to the actual verbal conversation. And I would say that it begins especially with how daddy treats mommy. Hmm. And that's crucial. <clears throat> when they are very young, they need to see especially how daddy treats mommy. Long before daddy talks or mommy and daddy talk hmm. about these kinds of things, the groundwork of that is how, how daddy honors, respects, and treats mommy. That's actually crucial in my judgment. Actually, that's the foundation, uh, the very first thing for, uh, the, that's the beginning of any verbal conversation uh, about these issues. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that uh, there's a tone that we set in our home, isn't there? Mm -hmm. And you can feel it before the conversation even starts, whether or not we're open, uh, whether or not we're afraid. 
and uh, we got to submit all that to the Lord. Uh, it's not like uh, all of a sudden you say, I'm going to give this to the Lord, and all of a sudden it becomes easy, okay? And all the nerves shut off, and it's just smooth sailing. Um, but it is a process of being aware that we can do things that get in the way. There's one more question that I think helps us kind of set the framework before we, we uh, um, hit some of the questions that came in that were really, I think, uh, impactful for our area and go to the guys. Um, but it's this. Is the Christian view of morality outdated? Is it outdated? Who wants to tackle that? If you, if you give me a quarter, you know I'll keep on talking. So. Yeah, that's true. So go look, look at, go back, uh, go back uh, 1,500 years. And other than having the Internet, humanity uh, was already struggling with all of these issues that are present in our current society. And in fact, think about the Corinthian church, who many of the people coming out of the Corinthian church could have potentially been interacting with temple prostitutes or been engaging in some form of sexual worship. Um, and so uh, back then, Paul, these men of God were teaching these truths that have been timeless. And so to now jump 2,000 years and say, well, it's not relevant. Well, it was always relevant then. It still is because it's God's design. And humanity continues to repeat deviating from God's design we see the hurt that comes from that. And then we see following God's design. We see the blessing that comes from that. Yeah, I, I, think, that's, uh, I think that's fundamental, that, that this isn't something new. Uh, Carl mentioned it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 was one that was also brought up this morning. But um, th there's a list here that he gives. Um, Don't be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it says, but such were some of you. Does that list sound very current? Um, and, and I won't say, uh, you know, uh, how many are in the house, but on that list, I'm going to say every single person in here has been on that list. Mm -hmm. All right? Uh, when we talk about living in a covetous society, when we talk about living in a society that lifts up rev revilers, people who shout others down because their opinion is superior to the one they're shouting at. Uh, that's our talk radio style. That is our way of engaging. It's our bumper sticker uh, way of shouting at other people. So what I think happened is you have a culture that was so destroyed by man's freedoms Man's freedom always leads to a chain. Whatever man does that uh, uh, is about his freedoms is going to lead you to a place of um, uh, being overwhelmed or wounded. God's freedom will lead through restriction to safety. And I, I think that uh, the test was when a society like the Corinthians was engaged by Paul, he just looked around and said, you guys are miserable. Look at what's happening to your men and women. Look what's happening to your children. Look at how dejected you are in all of your brokenness. None of this is leading to happiness. You're using each other up, and, and you're destroyed, and the culture is falling apart. He says, I got a better way. Uh, follow Christ. Stop this. Follow him. And it actually healed 
uh, it led to societies where homes were safe, where men and women felt edified, where they were, it was possible for them to walk down the street and be uh, able to engage with other people and, and feel safe. Um, it went through restriction, but it actually was the antidote to a society that is exactly like ours. I say that the only test is going to be time. I don't think that we can um, logically look at our world and say, stop those things when they want them. I think what we'll have to say is, in the next five or ten years, let's see who's more settled. And we keep telling the truth. We keep sharing the truth, living the truth. But uh, I don't think that there's an instant switch we can flip that makes everybody agree with us. Logically, they want their freedoms. Mm -hmm. But when people are destroyed, and, and some of you have tasted that here, when you've destroyed yourself with your own freedoms, then you say, man, if you can help me stop, I'll follow any path that'll lead uh, to grace and healing. It's uh, Christ and Christ alone that will do it. And then the only thing I would add is someone asked that question in line with without being a bigot. Um, we're supposed to be people that are peaceable. And we're supposed to live that. And I'm sure there, that there are sometimes where Justin and I could be teaching and someone could leave saying they're too narrow-minded. Or, But I think that if they spent time with us and engaged with us, they'd know who we really were. But you know, some people with the truth are bigots. How they handled themselves in argument, how they respond to scenarios in their personal life and those others around them, they might be handling themselves in a way that would not be looked upon by the Savior um, as what? Bringing glory to Him. And so that's the only thing is that, so when that term is used, probably most of the time when that term is used, it's probably a reactionary Christian cartoon version of, of Christians. But hopefully, if we are living consistently, people will view us more as people of peace, mercy, patience, love. And if we've lived that way, and then they say Carl is narrow-minded, it's because of the Word of God and the truth that's come out, not because I have handled something in a harsh or dogmatic way. What do you think, Dr. Allen? No, no I agree 100%. That's exactly right. It's what we need uh, to hear, and it's how we need to relate to the world out there. We need to speak the truth in love. Maybe mm -hmm. we need to emphasize that phrase in the Bible, in love. You know, I think what we have done maybe in recent years, or at least over the last 30 or so years, is we have, you know, 18-point type, bold, underlined, truth, and then the, in love. But, you know, we've justified our, we're defending the Lord, you know, type thing, and at the risk and even the sacrifice of the love part of it. So mm -hmm. we've got to continue to work in that way. So with that tone, making sure that we have the truth in love, we have a couple of questions that I think are um, maybe a little bit more intense for folks as they're talking about these things in their home. Um, and they have to do with homosexuality or transgenderism. Uh, we had quite a few questions along that line. Uh, and the first one I think is a little bit of a trick question, but I still think we need to address it, and that is what does Jesus teach about homosexuality? Dr. Allen, do you want to handle that one? 
Well, I'll be happy to start. I'm yeah. like Carl, except he only takes a quarter. With me, it's 50 cents. And then I, <laughs> well, you've got, and then I, you're a doctor. And I'll run on and on and on. <laughs> well, you're a doctor, so. <laughs> I try, I try. You've got to be, gotta, I cost more. Yeah. I mean, I cost more. <laughs> what did Jesus teach? Let me, let me ask the question this way. What did Jesus teach explicitly about homosexuality? The answer is nothing. But he did teach implicitly, very clearly about it. Jesus also didn't teach anything about mainline and heroin. But you shouldn't do it. He would not approve of it. Any more than he would approve of uh, homosexual behavior, which is very clear from what he did say about marriage. This was a point I wanted to make, tried to make this morning, from what our Lord said in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10 about marriage. It's very clear what where the sexual relationship is it is between number one a man and a woman period and therefore that even though it doesn't explicitly speak to homosexuality it actually implicitly does and so i think that's important to take note of the other thing that i would say is all of the bible by virtue of our Trinitarian understanding of things. Amen. All of the Bible is not only the Word of God, but it's the Word of Christ. Mm -hmm. So from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation and almost to maps, it's the Word of Christ as it is the Word of God. And therefore, everything that is explicitly taught by principle do or don't, or doctrine, or whatever, that is the Word of Christ. That being the case, uh, Jesus does speak to homosexuality uh, in, his broad, in the broad canon of Scripture. So mm -hmm. I think that's the way we have to respond uh, to, that, to that question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask the guys here if there's uh, some questions that are crawling their way towards the top. Russ, Joe? Yeah, we've got a few questions crawling their way to the top. Um, <clears throat> several of the questions that are making their way to the top, um, I'm going to try to bring into one because I see them kind of addressing something similar. And um, I understand it being the father of three little girls, you know, raising kids in the culture that exists right now is kind of what all these questions kind of center around. And I guess the way that we'll, we'll phrase this, um, one, of the, one of the ways it's phrased is that uh, how do we share with our children a positive view of sex? Or, or another way to, to uh, phrase it is um, how do we respond when our children have been exposed to worldly sexuality, maybe at an age that's younger than we wanted or um, that was in a way that we wanted to be able to do it differently? but it, it has happened. They've been exposed, and now parent has to respond. Um, how does a parent go about uh, interacting with their child in that type of situation? Yeah, I, I would like, uh, especially Carl and Laura, when we're talking about families, um, I, I'd like to break that up just a little bit. First of all, in general, I think we've tackled a piece of that. How do we talk about it? So we, we have the, uh, the books. How, how do I maybe address stuff that I'm seeing in the culture or in the schools? But Laura, secondarily, 
we talked a lot about in our session when we were just kind of preparing for this fear that moms have, especially in the home, when things get brought up that way. Um, are there things I should be validly afraid of, and how do I deal with that fear? So first, Cheeks, if you would, uh, I mean, Carl, <laughs> if you would address that part of uh, when my kids are running into stuff in the culture that uh -huh. they shouldn't. Okay, I'll give you an illustration. My little boy at kindergarten or first grade in this range, he came home and he told me one day that um, he heard the F word at school and that the boys were saying the F word, and how did I react as a young dad? What? What? Who? Those little perverts, who taught them? What's going on? And, uh, and did anyone, did you tell us? And I'm like, what do you mean? What, are they, what do you mean they're saying this? And they're, he's like, well, they're saying it out loud. No, they whisper it in each other's ear. And then they laugh and they giggle, and I'm like, what? And then my reasonable daughter that was two years older than Noah said, Dad, maybe you should ask him what the, what the F word is. And I said, well, you have permission to tell me what is the F word. <sighs> fat. <laughs> so the boys are whispering in each other's ear, fat, 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 and giggling and laughing. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's easy. That's not the F word. <gasps> so what is? And, and, and Kendra's like, good one, Dad. Now you've got to answer that. And I'm, okay, so what did I do? I overreacted. And I'm setting a tone also for you bring a concern to me. And I get real self-righteous. Oh, those must be non-Christian kids. Okay public school, home school, whatever, Christian school. So I start partitioning. They must have not gone to rock salt. And I react because it's already causing a concern in me. I am concerned that at five or six years old that my son is hearing things and then now he doesn't know how to respond in a social setting. He doesn't know what to do with that language or whatever concept's been presented. And now there may be a book list that's sent home. And these are the books that at kindergarten age your kids should be reading. And we react emotionally. And some of it could be righteous indignation. We could look at something and go, that's not of the Lord and we should not be happy about it but that we should immediately respond with what I would call is, that was Carl's flesh response. So the first thing is the response, and what's really, talk to the child about what are you talking about, what questions do you have, and pray internally. Pray internally for wisdom. So, Yeah, I think that's great. And, and um, we talked about the fear part. Would you add just, I mean, you've, you've brushed on it just a little bit, but... Um, the fear that moms have in tackling some of those issues, in particular when you, you see your kids get hurt, is there a way to separate out mm -hmm. those things that you see? Well, I think that's a great example of having that fleshy response, which was one of fear. Um, and, and there's no doubt that we currently live in a culture in which um, they're not just promoting, but celebrating and, and demanding that we celebrate and participate with uh, a new way of thinking. Um, and so that, that becomes challenging 
And that, unfortunately, is introduced to our kids at younger and younger ages, and not just in playground talk that maybe they're hearing from other kids, um, but, but from formal authorities who are saying, hey, here's, here's a different way to think um, about sexuality and some of these issues. And so, so it's really easy for us to be fearful of circumstances or situations that are presented to our children. Um, and, and I think one of the things that helps to settle our hearts is to understand that it's not circumstances or relationships that are going to make your child sinful or rotten. Um, his biggest issue is not actually anything he's gonna come across at school uh, or on the playground or um, you know, being exposed to other children. His biggest issue is his heart. Um, it's, it's deceitful and desperately wicked. And so if we understand that this is, the, this is really the heart of the issue, then I think it helps us to be able to put in perspective where the real battle is. And so it's all about shaping, training, and developing our, our children to have, even what we talked about this morning, discernment, and how to navigate, how to help them navigate through very difficult terrain um, in this world that we live in that's gonna present all, all different types of issues that would uh, maybe even legitimately cause us fear. But fear just can't be the driving factor. As a matter of fact, fear is always the first indicator of a self-ruled heart. It means I'm not submitted to Christ. I'm not trusting that not only does he have this, but he's also given me um, all the resources that I need spiritually to walk my child through this. And so we have to go back and, and really, I think, have that heart check um, and, and really consider before I, before I respond to my child or to a circumstance that my child is going to be in or has experienced, I have to make sure that I'm first submitted to the living God, that I'm remembering his truths, that I am content, never with sin, but I'm content in the fact that he's going to provide everything that I need. I am the parent that he's placed in my child's life mm -hmm. at this time. Therefore, every spiritual resource that I will need to be able to, to uh, minister to my child is already accessible to me. And he's got it. He's got this. And so I think it's as much a test for us. Um, and, and really, parenting is that, isn't it? It's really more about growing us up um, and really helping us to understand um, our own faith and walk with the living God. And so I think that's, that's a heart issue that we have to really settle first. Then the practical application, which is gonna be a little bit different for different circumstances and different kids, that's gonna, be, that's gonna follow suit. Uh, like Carl said earlier, if we're seeking God's will, um, then his way, his path is gonna be laid out before us. And uh, we will naturally step in the ways that he's directing mm -hmm. if our hearts mm -hmm. are really following him. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me give a personal testimony about that. My children, are my two boys and two girls, two boys oldest, two girls youngest, my boys are 35 and 32. My girls are now 30 and 28. If you've ever seen Jimmy Fallon do his thank you notes, <laughs> okay, if I were to do one on this, I would, mine would read like this. Thank you, Bill Clinton for introducing my girls to oral sex. 
because when that all came down, it was such a public deal, and my girls were like, I'd have to go back and look, you know, 10 and 8 or, or 8 and 6, or I'd have to go look exactly the time frame now, but it was in that, you know. And I remember, you know, they came to my daughter comes to me. I mean, you know, she's eight years old, and she says, Daddy, what is oral sex? Well, where did she get that from the, all the news cycle of now on television and everything, the President of the United States, shenanigans in the White House? That's where she got it. My point here is this. You better be prepared, even when your children are very young, prepared now uh, for how you're going to address these things because you don't know how it's going to come down the pike. And it may not, and especially today in the world of social media, oh, my goodness. And so you don't know how or when it's going to happen, so be prepared. Be I did not want to answer that question that day. <laughs> I was not ready for that one, you know, at that age. Daddy, what, you know, that was her question. Thank you, Bill Clinton. <laughs> Did you write the notes? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. Uh, Russ, Joe. Um, so kind of uh, going up the uh, age group a little bit, taking a look at the teenage mm -hmm. um, time period. Um, what would you say to a, a teenager, uh, to a, a, a a Christian teenager who struggles with um, homosexuality or the idea of transgender or plug all the other things that could yeah. go into that, how would you encourage a teenager who is having those type of thoughts? Yeah, that's an important question. And uh, it gets to be, uh, it's a little bit more, uh, one of the things, I, I don't know, um, how this is happening even in our culture, but it's, it's almost as if it's a fad, isn't it? We notice that more and more uh, within the culture, even for a season, try that on um, as a label just for a, a little while, whether it's a shock factor or to participate. So uh, how do we tackle those things? Carl, we've talked about those uh, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to say also that... Uh, some of these questions come knowing that um, right here, sitting in this audience, uh, we have folks, don't we? Friends and family, people that we love that are working through this right now. So we want to answer that knowing that uh, th this could be a very current uh, situation for some even in the room. Mm -hmm. Carl? Um, so it would be easy to say, well, if this happens, do this. But you have to, before you begin to take steps, even in working with a family or an individual teenager, I would want to get to know their story. I'd want to know more than just about this area of their life, which is their sexual identity. I, I, I want to get to see if I can get from them where their heart is. Um, and then if parents are bringing this to us, knowing that it's already a big step to hear it and to be hurting, and then now to uh, get help and bring it to shepherds or pastors or counselors. And so I would encourage us as a congregation as we work through these types of things, if things end up being real close to home, 
knowing that um, it's not just about presenting the word of God and thus says the word of God, do it. It's about all the prayer and the care and the shepherding that needs to happen for parents and for kids and teenagers and young adults that are working through this. Mm -hmm. And then um, we, we have become more sophisticated, I think, over the last 25 years in the Christian response as far as uh, forms of helpful literature. So there are some good Christian books and authors that are um, written to help the individual that's working through same-sex attraction as well as parents and families and friends so that then we can look at an approach that the same biblical standard applies to everyone sitting in this section, this section, and this section. And should a friend that is 14 or a grandson or a son or daughter present this as an issue, the truth is the same for all three groups, but I may now need to think through how are you to approach it and let's seek wisdom together from the word and how to approach it with this specific individual and this specific grandson and this specific friend and to just try to have a cookie cutter way of dealing with it isn't going to now um, is, isn't going to embrace the glory of God in the individual that God made us individually different and so and so then now I need to look at that individual struggle yeah, I would agree. I, I, I would want to remind uh, us as a church uh, when we say, you know, how do we help them with their struggle with homosexuality or same-sex attraction? You also may have kids in the youth group or kids in your family or young adults that struggle with alcoholism. Mm -hmm. You may also have some that are struggling with uh, eating disorders. You may also have some that are struggling um, with their appetites. They, they want to own everything. They covet. They are uh, revilers. They're on the list in 1 Corinthians, okay? Remember that uh, it's not just one area of sin. The biggest regret that I hear from parents, actually, it's uh, twofold. Uh, the first is that they did not approach it when that was just in its seed form. When you begin to see trouble, you start a conversation. Don't wait till you're angry. It shows. Mm -hmm. Start at the very beginning. Say, hey, can you tell me a little bit about this attitude? Can you show me what's going on? Or how are you doing with the Lord? Those are the questions. Uh, we start there. But with every single type of sin, we should have the same concern. And that is anything that sin runs contrary to the Lord, it'll destroy them. Mm -hmm. It'll destroy them. Don't wait to have the conversation. But also, don't build one sin up as, all of a sudden, far more egregious than any other. We pay attention to one, but then ignore a bunch of things that are really hurting our kids, okay? All of those are just as painful. I think if we turn down the alarms and just say, at the very beginning, we want to make sure we're talking about the Lord with each one of these things, it'll be helpful. The other regret that I hear quite often from parents is uh, they think that they raised their child to sin. We forget that you can't be the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Who here is better at being the Holy Spirit than God? And yet we act like it, don't we? If I just tweak the right knobs, if I just put on the right rules, if I just make the right commands or bark the right orders that they'll follow the Lord, it's not true. Holy Spirit would be the one that has to guide them. And uh, I do not believe that I've ran into a parent that willfully led their child into sin. 
that wanted to destroy them. We know that you as parents don't want to be there. Don't let your shame over a situation or a concern keep you from gathering prayer warriors and other good friends around or going and getting counsel. Mm -hmm. don't, don't hide. So the two big regrets would be uh, those uh, hiding. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, there's a kind of another thread of questions in here that uh, deals with uh, marriage. And I think that uh, they can best be summarized uh, by one specific question that was asked. And uh, the question uh, says this, are there boundaries other than monogamy within marriage of what, we, what would be considered biblical um, sex as long as both husband and wife are willing? But then the other questions related to that is, when those boundaries are broken, where do you go from there? When kids are impacted, when other people around you are impacted because those boundaries are broken? We're going to let Carl start that one off. <laughs> Here's your quarter. Um, okay, so, so I want, Justin's referred to that passage a couple of different times um, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go home and read that, okay? And, and then this part here, but you were washed. Um, we have all been washed, but we're not all living clean. I don't know about you. You know, um, and so whether, whether it's sophisticated sin, like, well, it just, you know, I'm just frustrated. I'm not, you know, dabbling in all kinds of immorality, okay? Um, so then we begin to justify that. Um, and so I would have us start off with hope and understanding that there's great hope in the fact that we've been washed. And we are waiting for, theological term, our glorification, so when I am face-to-face -face with my Savior, praise the Lord, I won't be dealing with these issues. But what that means is we should all admit right off the bat that even as adults, what Paul says is, inside of me, I do things I don't want to do, and things that I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, the wretched man that I am, right? You know, I'm this dude that is just... So if that's the case for me, do I understand about that about my children? even if they've placed their faith in Christ already. Um, and so then as far as getting, that's pretty specific because I see the questions here. Within the boundaries of marriage, um, you know, I think that is now something that is a couple that they need to be in discussion with, understanding that both of them should be seeking to honor the other person with their sexual activity. And the husband has to really be considering the vessel, which is a feminine vessel, and the wife needs to be considering which is a physical vessel. And so a lot of talk, asking for help and advice. When we do premarital, we have a, a couple of books that we share, um, and one of them actually is a Q&A with biblical scriptures, you know, scriptures that address different topics. Um, and, and the reason why we do that at that premarital is because we know that this is a lifelong journey from the time we're married to then growing into uh, old age. And something to think about, and Dr. Allen brought this up, um, is how am I going to be different when I'm 25 to 85, but still have the desire for sexuality? How's that going to change? 
And so it's not all about sex. Because in the later years, guys, our bodies aren't going to function the same as they were when they were 25. So does that mean now that my marriage, my intimacy with my wife is any less intimate and meaningful? In fact, it may be greater. Dr. Allen brought up the example of what if right after marriage now we have physical, emotional conditions that we were not aware of and now a husband or a wife is called to minister to that person and because of that emotional or physical need that the husband or wife has as far as maybe being hurt or physically ill or emotionally struggling, some type of impairment, that I am called to minister to her. And one of the first things would be that it's going to be potentially a life of self-denial in some areas. Um, Even though God would say, that's okay, self-denial, because what? I love her so much. I see that I'm God-focused, then others-focused, and that includes my wife first. So it's not all about sex as well because there's going to be a time and we need to be teaching our children this from a very early age that marriage is so much more inclusive too of all kinds of other experiences and blessings. Ministering together. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the, the overarching principle too, we need to remember sometimes we like even, even tonight, we're, we're a little bit speaking in hushed tones Mm-hmm. We're in this quiet room. Oh, no. Here's the thing, folks. Uh, this is a gift from God. It should be fun. Okay? Now, there's only a few nodding heads right now, but I didn't hear an amen. That should be. Okay? And, and you've got to honor each other in the process. That is the key. When you hurt somebody, when, uh, when it's about your will and not another, when it's not oneness, but it's about you and fulfillment, that's when damage begins to happen. Uh, so remember, marriage is about service to another rather than self-fulfillment. Uh, if you are about serving somebody else and you together uh, are enjoying that, that process, then it's a good gift from the Lord, and, and you should participate. The rule I remember Al Mohler gave uh, in one of those is it should be fun, but eventually somebody's got to get up and pay the bills, right? So with responsibility, that's the key. Make sure that you're enjoying that process. Here's one thing that we've shared quite often. In uh, Hollywood, they get this wrong, but uh, in a house, there is a place for a fireplace. Uh, and when you build a fire in the fireplace in the living room, uh, people come in. There's a warmth that draws them into that room in the house. Uh, they're around that. When the fire is in its right place, there's warmth that's there uh, and fellowship that's gained. But when the entire house is a fire, okay, that's uh, good for a night, but then it's all over. If everything in your relationship is about that fire, if all of your conversation, if every angle, every bit of communication, if everything in your relationship is about the fire, the house burns down, there's nothing left. Uh, A relationship is a lot more than about sexuality, but that warmth ought to be in some place in your relationship. Uh, That will draw you in, but it's only a small piece of who we are. So make sure that it's in its proper place. When it is, uh, it will be fulfilling. When it's not, it will be destructive. You know, may I add, too, I was thinking in my mind about First Peter 3, 7, and I think the big responsibility here, I would argue, lies more with the husband as the leader, the spiritual leader of the home. Uh, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives 
in an understanding way, or one translation, according to knowledge, as with a weaker partner or weaker vessel, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. So now, having read that, that's pretty self-explanatory without becoming, without moving beyond speaking in hushed tones. Uh, let me see if I can say uh, what I think you heard Carl say, that there should be a mutual uh, discussion about what's, uh, what a couple feels is they're comfortable with and what somebody in that relationship is not, and then that boundary should not be crossed. And that is something, that's the way a man, for example, let me talk as a man, a husband, you show honor to her. Now, I don't want to go too far here, but in a city north of here, in a state north of here, you had a pastor one time, not too many years ago, who wrote a book and advocated some things that in a sexual relationship between a husband and wife, uh, suggesting that wives should do certain things in certain ways and some wives took that uh, to heart and wound up in the hospital and I won't go too much beyond this but uh, uh, but I'm just saying that you know there that was uh, that was not good and so the principle is Husbands, you need to dwell with your wife. You need to understand her, know her, dwell with her according to knowledge and give honor to her as the weaker vessel. And by the way, the weaker there, ladies, you know what that has nothing to do mentally or anything else spiritually. You understand that. But, you know, uh, you understand what Peter is saying there. But I think that's a very important verse that husbands mm-hmm. uh, need to take heart. And by the way, it also says we're to do this so that our prayers won't be hindered. Guys, you can't get God to answer any of your prayers? There might be a reason. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's very true. You know, know, when you say that, we'll be really bold with, well, this is wrong and that's wrong, but your prayers won't be answered. And also, it's that she's a joint heir of Christ. So it's like saying, fella, you know that Jesus died for her? You better treat her right. And then, oh, well, is it really that bold? That's when we should be bold. And I think that what we're seeing in our society and in our churches, right, is that that is not being taken seriously. And so from Hollywood to the home, we are seeing now the eruption and now even in some cases overreaction to the fact that we don't treat women and children with honor and respect. And that's something we as men all have to learn how to, um, to really live and navigate. And so Laura reminds me frequently I'm still learning. I, I, think, uh, I, I think our time is up. Is that? Uh, well, we still have some correct. doozies. We, Can we, we have some you great guys, questions. Do you guys want some more? Okay. Yes, yeah. So what I would like to do is, yeah, let's, let's, let's hear from Laura, and then uh, we'll get one last question and, and uh, wrap it up. So, um, I think the second part of that question, um, and, and this is where it gets difficult, is when, when there isn't that, um, that honor, um, when, when um, it's very self-oriented, when s- sexual intimacy becomes very self-oriented, 
uh, women often um, are hurt deeply, and you mentioned that, uh, Pastor Justin. And so in that context, there are, there are a number of women who find themselves in that type of situation where um, sexual intimacy is more of a demand, an expectation, and it's, it, it, it misses um, the beauty, the safety, um, and the care, uh, the ministry and service piece or aspect that God designed for it to be. And if that's the case, um, there, again, you know, without giving a blanket statement, there are resources and, and biblical solutions or responses to that. Um, God, God um, does give us uh, a way to biblically respond and to move forward in that uh, for women. And so um, that, if, if that's, since that was a question that was brought up, if that's a concern or a situation, then we would definitely want to be able to minister to you and to help you find some biblical recourse for that. Um, a lot of times a fleshy recourse, which is, um, you know, more revengeful or, or withholding or spiteful, um, unforgiving, an unbiblical response isn't the answer and won't remedy or fix um, the, the problem. And so then we would really encourage you to seek uh, counsel in that. And of course, we, you, you all know that that's available. Um, and so that would be an encouragement. Can I, can I hit a couple of these? There's yeah. a couple of really up on the top that I think I can answer. That would sure. so. How do we show? How do we the show love? Yes. How do we show uh, love to our friends and family, living in sexual sin without supporting it? Justin said, "What about alcoholism? What about greed? What about?" So first of all, I think Scripture very clearly teaches that we are not to be judgmental, and judgmental would be to consider that we too aren't in some way struggling with something okay so then once we've come to the honesty of i struggle too what is my motivation for approaching that individual is it for love of the lord and and his glory and for that person's best so then now i have to come up with a strategy that is going to try to engage with that individual for their best and the lord's best in their life and so there isn't a cookie-cutter answer. It requires now to pray, seek wisdom, be in the Word. And then each scenario might have the same foundational biblical absolutes, but to now think through how do I approach this individual that's struggling with, with that, that issue um, of homosexuality, adultery, and things of that, of that nature. Do, do you invite them into the home for an event. Well, so it's Thanksgiving, and you gave a good example. Now I'm going to ask you to start screening which behaviors, which areas of sin can come to Thanksgiving dinner and which ones cannot. And probably one of the most difficult decisions Laura and I have had to make in adult life, and that included our kids, was... Um, professing believers living in a pattern of sin that wasn't homosexuality, that wasn't in drunkenness, and that after they were approached, they continued to live that way and that we had to put up boundaries for us and for our children. And that's really a hard thing to live by, but was the right decision. Also, I think another thing is, is if you're living out your faith in your Christianity, 
most people that are struggling with areas of sin probably should know what you believe about what they're yeah. engaging in. So if, if you and I live consistently, what you said, truth in love, those folks may come to us and want to know what our take is or what our opinion is, but hopefully they've already seen a lot about who we are internally. So they're not going to be surprised when we present to them now our thoughts on what they're struggling with. Yeah. I, I think that's really key um, because, uh, and this will be a case-by-case basis. Um, if I were going to say, uh, you know, Uncle Billy has a problem with alcohol, and you know he wants to come over at Thanksgiving, do you let him in the house? It's the same as any of these other scenarios. The question is, does Uncle Billy respect what you say about that, what the Lord says? So can you speak to him? And Uncle Billy knows you don't come in that state, and you don't begin to go to that state at the house. So will I invite somebody who has alcoholism? I want you to know uh, and, and I think that's been really evident that we love people who have been trapped in alcoholism. Amen? Amen. We love them. Uh, we love people trapped in any sin because we want to see the, the living God transform their life and set them free. So if they understand your standing, you can speak plainly about it, then it's a case-by-case basis. Just depending on will they respect your home and, and the stand that you've taken there. Can they come in? Absolutely. It's, it's one great way. Invite them in. Love on them. Let them know. God loves you as well. Uh, you got to be in their presence to have that happen. Um, but if they won't respect that, uh, that hard line, then you do have to separate. Um, and I think it just has to do with not whether or not you're afraid. Be bold to say, hey, do you know that God loves you? But this is what he says about that area in your life. Um, requires that. Yeah, Carl, you had another doozy. How do we engage in conversation with people who strongly believe that homosexual behavior isn't a sin? I argue a lot less than when I was young. Yeah. Uh, I really, I think I would measure out what the individual that I'm, I'm, I'm interacting with, what am, I, what am I hearing as far as the, the story, the narratives underneath that conversation? You know, and, and what I'm looking to is um, how is this going to be helpful and productive to the gospel in their life versus just winning an argument, however many scripture references I can give, because I can give a lot. But if it's just going to be heated and if it's just going to be angry, and even if I'm gentle, but it's, I could see that their, their, their heart and their, their emotional level is one that they are just stuck in that pattern of sin. I really have to begin to question the wisdom of engaging in argument. You know? I, I think the other thing is what you will find, um, people are hungry for engagement. Even in our culture, they're hungry for engagement. It's not all bitter and acidic conversations. And, and I hadn't really shared this uh, with many, but uh, there was a short while ago where I was approached by a couple of leaders within the homosexual community that wanted to sit down and just talk about God's opinion. And it was actually in a, a situation where the conversation was amicable, where I could sit down and, and uh, walk through what Scripture says. But I started by telling them, look, I, I want you to hear this from the very beginning. 
Uh, just as Dr. Allen did this morning, if you weren't there this morning, uh, it was a wonderful introduction to say that there are some within the Christian community who have only thrown acid at you, who have only been bitter, and you've only heard um, angry statements, um, and I'm sorry for that. Uh, that's how I, I prefaced it, but I let them know, I, I love you, I, God loves you, and this whole entire conversation is under the idea that uh, the God of the Bible is a God of love that gave his life for you, and that's where we started. Um, but we actually were able to have lunch and a conversation. I actually told him, I'll meet with you in public. I'm not afraid that, that something will rub off or that somebody will think something wrong. And that's a literal concern that they have, that believers just won't even be seen with them. And by approaching them with that, we were able to have a conversation. And though we did not come to the same conclusions, um, they were still saying, I wish there was a way. Here's what I heard. There's something about Jesus, though. And these other places that just say we can do what we want to do um, and let us worship with them, that it, we don't sense the Spirit of God there. Why can't I be there? And we had a conversation about what it was that they were craving. That's the Spirit of God touching your heart with conviction, saying, this is home, but you have to leave that to get there. Mm -hmm. And they heard it. You can have that conversation, but you've got to be willing at times to be wounded by the one who may be uh, a little tough to love. Yeah. How should I counsel a Christian friend who continues to struggle with pornography? If they're open to it, number one, pray with them. If, it's a, if you're a female and it's a, a guy friend, you should um, pray with them and then refer them immediately to a brother in Christ. Same thing, so I wouldn't um, be engaging in that conversation for very long with a friend of the opposite sex. And then I would encourage them to meet Pastor Matt and Lori because we have a wonderful ministry that's called The Most Excellent Way. And it could be pornography, it could be any type of addiction, it could be anger, pride, which also goes to um, one of the questions here is why do you hold homosexuals and thieves on the same level? Now, if you are a homosexual and you are practicing homosexual, homosexuality actively, there may be a lot of consequences that are unique to homosexuality that you will experience. If you are a thief, those consequences may also be different. However, both, and I think you said it a while back when you did men's retreat or something, at the foot of the cross, you know, the ground is level. What? Because I have pride, I would go to hell without the gospel. That's sin. Sin is pride. Pride is sin. If I don't believe the gospel, eternal separation from my creator. A thief, homosexual, if they die in that state of unbelief. So then that answers another one. When someone said, what about homosexuals? Do they immediately go to hell? Well, individual people that are thieves or homosexuals or prideful people, I don't know. God knows whether or not they have believed. But then also the scripture clearly indicates that a lifestyle pattern seems to indicate that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's in Galatians, and it's also implied in that passage in yeah. Corinthians, that if you have a pattern of this, you and the people around you should be really concerned whether or not your profession of faith of being a Christian is genuine. I, I think the thing that um, th that question may be implying, too, is um, isn't it uncompassionate 
to say that somebody who's just seeking love is in the same category as somebody who's seeking other people's stuff. Um, but I, I think the First Corinthians 6 passage is, is central here because what it says is that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to be really clear. My understanding of that passage is not that God will not give you the kingdom or God refuses to make the kingdom available to you. But that passage indicates that there are certain sins, areas of sin or pattern of sin that are so sticky, that are so attractive. Covetousness is on there. I want stuff that I can't afford. I want other things. And, and it's not covetousness isn't just that I want it. I'm bothered that somebody else has it. So if in your heart you're bothered somebody else has something that you want, that's covetousness. It's on the same list. Some of these patterns are so sticky that you say, God, if you force me to get rid of this, I won't receive the kingdom of God. I refuse to accept your salvation. So it is man saying, I won't receive it. You've delivered it to the door. Christ died, was buried, rose again on the third day so I could have salvation. It's right there at the door, but I won't receive it. Why? Because you say, I can't bring this with me. And these patterns of sin are those that I won't go forward. Well, homosexuality is on that list. And what you will hear consistently, and with thieves, the thrill of the chase, the thrill of grabbing those things instead of working for them uh, is part of it. What you have is a, a sin that you actually say, this is so engaging to me, I want you to bless it, God. I want you to put your name on it. And we do that with some of those on the list. Don't just look at homosexuality and the desire to start a church that will bless it. But these other things we see in the church in one form or another, we sanction them or we put God's name on them. Well, that goes all the way back to Exodus 32 when they built a golden calf, started sporting around, and they called it Yahweh. Mm-hmm. All right? Putting God's name on egregious sin. Mm-hmm. We, God says that is destructive. I won't accept it. It can't come here because it won't lead to wholeness. So... Did you have one more? I think is online online dating a healthy way to potentially find find a spouse. <clears throat> That's a good question. It's been asked before, um, and so what does the Bible say about online dating? Doesn't say anything specifically, so I can't give a dogmatic answer, yes or no. Here's what I would say: If you are as a single pursuing holiness. If you are plugged into the body of Christ and you're serving and you're ministering around married couples, singles, youth, and you are part of the body of Christ, and then you are living out your gifting, and then whatever God's called you to on the outside in the world, if you are engaging and you are pursuing holiness, if God has in his heart and in your heart, his heart and in your heart, to find a man or a a woman to be your spouse, I think you'll get there. The track record on online dating and finding a mate that way has not been a successful pattern in our counseling practice. So did you hear that? The pattern that we have observed in people finding their spouse using those forms of media, medium, um, hasn't been successful. But I can't say absolutely yes or absolutely no. What is this? What is absolute? Pursue holiness, love God, live Jesus, be in the body, participate. And then um, if you know what you like, keep your eyes open. There should be some attraction. 
can I add, uh -huh. in the very beginning, it says that God creates them male and female. But mm -hmm. the beginning of that story, it says that he took Adam around mm -hmm. all through creation and shows him, hey, there's a pair, there's a pair, there's a pair, there's a pair. And remember the observation that even God made. Uh, it is not good for man to be alone. He actually put a craving in the heart of Adam. If you are single and you have that craving, mm -hmm. that is not wrong. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that you hear that. Yep. It is not wrong to have that craving. But remember, the secondary part was it was God who led Adam to the perfect mate. He created her for him. So if you do not allow God's timing and God's planning, if you are not satisfied for God to move them into your area, that also um, would be wrong. It is not wrong to desire marriage. It's not wrong to say, man, this is uh, something that I really think would be fulfilling, and I'm craving that. Um, but make sure that you wait for God's timing and you do that appropriately. So, yeah. I, I wish my wife, Kate, were here to say a word about mm -hmm. that because mm -hmm. I want to share with you something that mm -hmm. she said to me when we – Kate, Kate was uh, 55 years of age, and, sh and she won't, I don't think she would mind me telling you her age, but uh, in case she does mind, you didn't hear that from me, okay? And you don't tell her either. Uh, but uh, she had never been married when God brought us together and we married. And, but before we married, I asked her this, a question. I said, I've got to ask you this. How is it that you've never never been married because I know she, you've had opportunities to be married and so forth and I'll never forget her answer I think I may have told your church this before but let me tell you again this is her answer she said I haven't been looking I've been waiting that's what she said she said I haven't been looking I've been waiting waiting on God to make that happen if that was God's will for her life so all and and so you know Kate was in her mid-50s and she was a career woman and had never been married God brought us together so that goes right along with what Justin is saying and I want to encourage uh, especially the ladies you ladies here but men as well if you've never been married um, you know you may be at a certain age but that uh, you know you may not the timing may not be over, you know. So just, you know, think think about that. Think about that. Mm -hmm. I, I do believe we're out of time. All right. Let me let me say this once again. We were trying to invite a conversation. We want to make sure throughout this summer that what we're doing is creating more conversations and that we are available to be mm -hmm. able to answer, not just counsel, but be able to engage. Uh, if you're struggling with something and you say, man, I don't think my question was answered tonight, I want you to know that we really do want to engage with those things and be able to help you get an answer. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you feel that it's one that the broader context are, in our church would be really helped out by that, we're, we're going to try and find a way to make sure we answer those uh, on a consistent basis in a way that will be helpful. But I'm thankful that you were here tonight. I'm going to pray and uh, we'll be dismissed. So. Father, we are thankful that you are the one that writes the rules. We're thankful that you, the designer of all creation, the one that loves us enough to die on our behalf, is also the one who says, this is the way that you will have the greatest joy. This is the path that leads to life. So we thank you for your guidance and your direction. Uh, Father, we just pray that you will help us to live with conviction that your way, your thoughts, 
are higher than ours, that they are the best way to live. Father, give us the ability to live that way with grace, not with arrogance, not with pride, uh, but, Father, humbly submitting our lives to you in a way that impacts those around, that brings peace and direction uh, to our homes. Father, help us to be fully yielded, uh, complete in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. Uh, you're dismissed.